The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm delighted to welcome my guest, Mr. Dave Chapman. Dave lives on Long Wind Farm in Thetford, Vermont. He has been an organic farmer for the last 37 years. He is co-owner and head grower at Log Wind, where organic tomatoes are produced in fertile soil inside two glass greenhouses. Five years ago, Dave got drawn into the growing debate in the National Organic Program about allowing hydroponic production to be certified as organic. And this conflict has intensified and spread to include the certification of confined animal feeding operations, as well as fraudulent grain imports. So we have a lot of challenges as we work to protect the integrity of the organic label. But Dave has helped coordinate a movement to create a new label that will identify traditional humus farming, and we can talk about what that is, and that movement is called the Real Organic Project. Welcome, Dave. Hi, Melinda. Well, first, I want to start at the very beginning, you know, 37 years ago. What led you to be a farmer, and specifically to be a certified organic farmer? Well, there was no organic certification way back then. I was part of the wave of young people who came to Vermont. In my case, I actually started in the country. I grew up on a dairy farm in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. I came to Vermont, and (laughs) I actually had a team of oxen. So I have sort of traversed the entire history of human civilization from (laughs) oxen to computers. Yeah. And I logged with them. I, I raised them from calves and trained them. And I wanted to do something a little safer than logging, so I started to grow vegetables with them. And in case you didn't get the idea, I was a hippie, and I frankly didn't occur to me to farm any other way except organic. I was very fortunate. I went to work for someone named Jake Guest, who was a great teacher. He was one of the pioneers in Vermont. And as I started my own small rented farm, I got to learn a great deal from a neighbor, Elliot Coleman, who is one of the great pioneers internationally in the organic movement. So I had great teachers. It was always so interesting, and it has kept being interesting all the way up till now. Yeah, I think it's interesting that so often when we think of organic, the image that might come to mind is one of a hippie farmer or somehow going backwards when it's really been my experience in speaking with organic farmers that you are so observant, you're very careful and keen observers of the environment, and you're truly biological farmers. So I always like to cast aside the image of the hippie and put organic farming under a very modern lens because 
I think it makes so much more sense to farm biologically than to rely on chemicals to somehow solve our problems and ultimately leading to unintended consequences and harm down the road. So thank you for producing food that truly feeds and nourishes your neighbors and your community well. It means a great deal. Yeah, well, that's one of the many wonderful things about being a farmer is that you make great food and and it's something that you can feel very good about sharing with people. You know, I just want to say it's it's wonderful that farmers are so respected and glorified, but, you know, I think that it's complicated to run a farming business, and I'm an unlikely organic champion in that I actually have a very high-tech farm now. I started with oxen, but I have a, a greenhouse that is uh, controlled by a very modern computer, and it's quite technically sophisticated. Right. So although people in the real organic movement have been accused of being Luddites, and some of them are, and I respect that, I am not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'll provide a link to your farm so people can see your greenhouses. And I kind of had my mouth drop open when I saw the greenhouses because, as you said, they are very technical, and they are producing wonderful fruit, tomatoes, for, I'm sure, your community. I, I wanted to ask, are you providing hospitals, schools? How many tomatoes do you produce? I don't know. It's a lot of tomatoes. A lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, who do we you sell to? about two and a half acres, and our tomatoes mostly go to, to supermarkets and co-ops. I see. Uh, we don't do farmers markets anymore. We used to. We don't have a CSA, so we're mostly we're unusual for a a Vermont farm in that we're all wholesale, and we sell to stores around New England. Yeah. What are your biggest challenges? <sighs> well, constantly moving target. I think. Uh, my biggest challenge, yeah, you know, it, it really does change. Some years, our biggest challenge is marketing the tomatoes, and some years, the biggest challenge is some kind of growing problem. One of my big challenges in the last four years has been I've been distracted as I got drawn into this national debate. Mm-hmm. Uh, farming is a pretty full-time job, and I'm lucky we have a really great crew that I work with. So my teammates have carried a lot of the weight when my attention has been elsewhere. Mm -hmm. Now tell me, you were on an advisory panel for the U.S. National Organic Program. What was your role on that advisory panel? What were you looking at? The USDA set up an advisory panel on hydroponic growing, Mm. and it had already been become very controversial because the National Organic Program was basically opposing the recommendation of, of their own standards board, advisory board. And so in the midst of that turmoil, they thought it'd be a good idea to create a panel to research it. It's what they do to delay. So I was the commercial soil-based grower on the panel. Originally, the panel was going to be limited to just hydroponic producers, and there was a bit of an outcry, so they put five soil advocates on it as well. Hmm. I was one of those five. 
Well, let's talk about hydroponics because I'm not sure that everybody really understands what a hydroponic system looks like. I'm assuming that it means that crops are grown in water where nutrients are added versus being grown in the soil. Is that about right? quite right. Okay. That could be. That's one kind of hydroponic. Hydroponic means that the fertility is supplied to the plant as a liquid in the irrigation water. So some hydroponic production is grown in a container of coconut coir, which is coconut husks, or it could be grown in rock wool, which is like fiberglass insulation. Those are the two main substrates that are used for tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers around the world, berries also. But some plants are grown just with their roots sitting in a like an open pipe and the irrigation water runs by, and some even have their roots hanging in the air and they're just misted with the nutrients. Mm -hmm. But in all cases, whether it's growing in a pot or whether it's growing with its roots hanging in the air, what makes it hydroponic is that it's not getting its nutrition in a conversation with the soil. It's getting its nutrition, it's already been processed off-site, and it's supplied in a plant-available form in the liquid irrigation. Mm -hmm. You know, I was having a conversation with another organic advocate, and I, I think most of my listeners know that I am an advocate for organic food and farming through a public health lens. And I was having a conversation with another person who cares very much about food quality and how our food is produced. And she said, well, let's think about could there possibly be a place where a hydroponic production system could be important? So, for example, if somebody is living in a desert or if someone is living in an urban environment where you've got really just cement all around where perhaps you couldn't bring soil in for whatever reason. Are there any places where hydroponics makes sense? Well, sure. Steve Deaver is a, a wonderful resource down at University of Kentucky, and he's done years of research on hydroponic production, and he did it exactly for that. He was thinking about people in the sub-Sahara, and right. they might really need to be able to grow food, and they simply didn't have a soil base that would be able to feed them. And so that's why he was experimenting with that. He would go on to say that the quality of the food that that produces is certainly going to be inferior to well-grown organic food in a healthy soil. Mm -hmm. But people who are starving have to get food however they can. Right. So I think, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with hydroponic production. It has become the norm for greenhouse vegetables in the world throughout the EU and in North America. Virtually 100% of the uh, conventional greenhouse vegetables are produced hydroponically. It's very efficient and effective. I think the question is, is there any significant difference in the quality of the food? Right. And it's probably impossible to prove this conclusively to everybody's satisfaction. Yeah. I think that it's the same question you would have about any organic production versus any conventional production. Is there a difference? Obviously, the people who began the movement, like Albert Howard and Eve Balfour, deeply believed 
that there was a difference in the quality of the food, and most of the organic community that has followed shares that belief, but a lot of people don't. Hmm. Yeah, I think, too, we find differences in all sorts of growing conditions, soil or not. And the question is always to the nutritionist, then, is how significant is it? You know, is it going to affect our health? What are those larger ripple effects? What are the intended and unintended consequences from different methods of food production? We are still learning all of the answers for those questions. But it's good for us to have this conversation and wonder because that's how research happens. Yes, yes. There is good research there. I know that you've, I think you've had a David Montgomery and Ann Clay on your show. And Absolutely. This is exactly what they're looking into is the difference between food grown in a really fertile soil versus food grown in a not-so-fertile soil, not so so much life. Right. And, of course, hydroponics would be part of this conversation, but yeah. not the end of it. Right. I recently interviewed Francis Thickey, who had been on the National Organic Standards Board. He's a farmer in Iowa. And he, too, had mentioned the hydroponics debate on the National Organic Standards Board. And when he explained to me how many crops were being grown hydroponically, my response was, well, I want them labeled. I want to be able to go to the grocery store, and just as I want to know what the cow ate that is providing beef on my plate, I want to know how my berries are grown, and I want to know if if the vegetable I'm eating was grown in a hydroponic system versus in the soil. To me, consumer education is really at the heart so that the consumer can drive the market. Yes, yes. And of course, the consumer has been taken advantage of here, I think, by the National Organic Program because they were tasked with protecting the integrity of the organic label and of maintaining uh, really strong transparency so people knew what they were getting. Right. And unfortunately, in Europe, with the exception of three small countries in the North, Scandinavian countries, the organic label exclusively means grown in the soil. So that's not a question. Likewise, in Europe, a CAFO would never get organic certification. So you can count on the label to at least give you that level of transparency when you're making a a shopping decision. In America, we don't have that. And unfortunately, this is very secretive. I mean, it's unknown because the hydroponic producers do understand that Americans don't want that. And so they really hide it. Not every hydroponic producer. I don't mean that. But I think that the big guns who are using the organic market as a way of presenting their vegetables and their berries, they have very good marketing people. And if they thought that that people wanted hydroponic, they'd be saying it all over their packaging. Mm -hmm. And they're saying quite the opposite. They're denying that what they're doing is hydroponic at all. Yeah. I mean, I like to think that I'm relatively well-informed, but this was all news to me, discovering all of these hydroponically grown crops in the marketplace. I had no idea. Dave, let me take one minute because I need to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are joined by Mr. Dave Chapman. He is a longtime organic farmer. He's based in Thetford, Vermont, and his specialty is organic 
tomatoes, and they are grown in glass greenhouses. I want to go back to the NOSB because the NOSB ended up deciding that they would indeed, even though the EU does not allow the organic label to be on hydroponically grown crops, I didn't know that, so thank you, the U.S. program, the U.S. label, allows hydroponics. Did the NOSB at least say, well, okay, we're going to allow it, but we're going to put a label on it? No, no, they didn't. The NOSB never actually voted to allow hydroponics. They just, last fall in Jacksonville, they failed to pass uh, clarification defining you know, it gets into the weeds quickly, but defining how you might permit growing in a container but but still not allow hydroponic. And that didn't pass. So the standing recommendation is still saying that hydroponics shouldn't be allowed. However, the National Organic Program has moved forward and said hydroponics are allowed, aeroponics are allowed, and and they've also said they're not going to pursue any kind of independent labeling. So it's buyer beware, and we have to figure it out for ourselves. We can't look to the government, as with so many things right now. Right. Because I always like to preface government with our government. And <laughs> it not it always up to us to hold our government accountable? And now what I've just learned from you is that as a dietitian who consumers depend on me to help them understand the food in the marketplace... Now, what you're telling me is I am going to have to contact every grower or manufacturer of food products and say, how were these berries grown? I mean, like Driscoll, for example, Driscoll berries are extensively available throughout the United States. They're certainly in my local markets. And I was surprised to learn that so many of their berries were grown hydroponically. So I want to call them and say, I want to ask them, and then I want to encourage them to put a label on their products. What else can I do? You know, there, there are definitely things we can do. Driscoll's is probably a good example. They are the biggest hydroponic producer getting certified organic in the world. We, On the task force, we learned that they have over a 1,000 acres of hydroponic berries being grown. I actually don't know how far over a thousand, but they, you know, that's a lot of, that's a lot of production. And I know that that, that acreage is increasing rapidly every year. They're now moving into what they call their tabletop strawberries. At the same time, if, well, somebody sent me a letter that they sent to Driscoll's asking if they're producing hydroponically, and the, res- the reply they got was, no, we do not produce anything hydroponically. So, um, you're not necessarily going to get a very clear answer just by asking a company what they do, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of money at stake here for them. Their marketing people have told them people don't like hydroponic, and their solution has been to redefine the word hydroponic. So they have a definition that is quite different from the commonly accepted one. and. That's just how it is. I, there, I think there's a lot we can do, but it is unlikely at this point that part of that solution is going to come from the government. Hmm. Well, I don't know whether to jump into the Real Organic Project right now. I'll let you decide which direction you want to go, or should we talk about 
what you would like consumers to do? Well, the Real Organic Project is definitely about consumers as well as farmers, so let's talk about it. Okay, let's do that. Tell me about it. Well, after Jacksonville, after that terrible meeting last fall, it, it wasn't a terrible meeting. It was wonderful. We had farmers from organic farmers from all over the country who showed up and attended a rally and testified for a day and a half to the NOSB about why hydroponics should not be permitted in organic, and which is a wonderful conversation. I mean, it's a very interesting subject about why soil is important. But we'll set that aside for a minute and just say that after that, I think there was a real wave of anger and uh, confusion amongst organic farmers uh, across the country because they realized that the very group that was meant to represent them wasn't representing them. So we didn't know what to do. We were talking and talking, and finally we all came together and decided that we would form the Real Organic Project. And our goal was educational. Our goal was to try and teach people about why soil mattered and what was traditional real organic farming about. Sometimes we'll use the the term humus farming because that was one of the early names for organic farming. In Europe, they call it biological farming. But they're all aiming at the same thing, which is a, a farming system that embraces the complexity of the biology and the soil and the relationship between the plant and the soil and the animals and the people and the climate. And the Real Organic Project has two, two basic projects that have been taken on and the first one is to try and create an add-on label to the USDA label so that people can recognize what they're getting. I would say that we've got a wonderful 15-person standards board that's going to be meeting in about three or four weeks here in Vermont. The board comes from all over the country. These are highly respected people. We have nine farmers. We've got a scientist. We've got a consumer representative and a store representative. And and in that way, it's very similar to the NOSB in terms of the categories. But the people who are chosen are somewhat different. I will say that we have, I think, nine former NOSB members on one of our three boards. And we have five current NOSB members on one of our three boards. So we've gotten a lot of expertise and experience from people who have spent their five years or are still spending their five years in public service trying to protect organic standards at the federal level. Well, I am sitting here with the Real Organic Project several pages from your website, and I will make sure that our listeners have a link to that. You have amassed a stellar crew of people who are all respected in their own rights for their work over the years, as you mentioned. I just opened the page to Jim Riddle, who's been a guest, Jeff Moyer, Joan Gussow. These are people that I have relied on over the years to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. So this speaks volumes about who cares about this and why. So I think it's a great source for consumers, yeah. you know, to understand what's oh, at yeah. stake and why people and why good, smart people care. 
Yes, this is a group that won't be ignored, that's for sure. Francis Tickey, who you said was just on your show, is on the standards board, and and David uh, Montgomery and Ambic Clay are on the advisory board, and Elliot Coleman is on the advisory board, Fred Kirshen, and it's it's a, a stellar group. Yes. Really deep expertise, really deep understanding of what organic is about. Mm-hmm. So we're all very excited to be working together and to see if we can do it a little bit better this time. Well, I'm excited to see the energy and the expertise that have come together to uphold the integrity of the label. I can't tell you how often I try to explain to consumers how it's probably the best label on the market, even with all of its faults. And we have to be diligent, you know, just as Jim Riddle said years ago, you know, we fought for this label and it is our responsibility to protect it and uphold its integrity. We can never get lazy, right? We always have to be working to uphold integrity. But what would you like to see consumers do at this point, other than certainly become informed first and foremost? Yes. Well, becoming informed is enormous. But the the other campaign that Real Organic Project is going to undertake is called Just Ask. And we're really going to try to get a lot of people to go into their stores and just ask them, are these tomatoes grown hydroponically, these certified organic tomatoes? Is this certified organic egg produced in a CAFO? Is this certified organic milk produced in a CAFO? And that's not such a complicated thing to get people to do and I believe, I, I genuinely believe that if we could get 50 people to go into every store in America, we literally win overnight. I mean, <laughs> you know, the world will change fairly dramatically if that were to happen. Yeah. The and- stores would be freaking out, and they're going to find out. They won't know the answer to those questions. I know. I've gone in to stores and asked, and you get wonderful reactions. My favorite was I went and asked, a really nice guy who worked in a Whole Foods in L.A. And and I walked up and said hi, and I, I asked him, are these tomatoes, these organic tomatoes, hydroponic? He said, I, I don't know. I yeah. said, okay. And we started talking about their rating system, and, and uh, <laughs> I asked him about that. He said, you know, you're the first person in two years who's asked me about that. And we had a nice conversation, and I was getting ready to leave. He said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, what is it? And he said, what is that you asked me in the beginning? I said, about whether the tomatoes were hydroponic? He said, yeah, what does that mean? Yeah. So I explained what hydroponic meant. And he thought about it. He said, that, that's not right. That's not organic. I said, I know, I know. But they often are hydroponic now. And he said, well, how can I tell? I have never seen anything on a box. I said, you can't tell. They don't have to label it. He said, that's not right. It was really wonderful. This guy really cared. You know, mm-hmm. He'd worked there for 10 years. He took a lot of pride. They had a beautiful produce section. Most of the organic food there came from within 60 miles. L.A.'s got this amazing farms surrounding it. And I thought, yeah, what if every, every Whole Foods and every Stop and Shop, you know, and every Kroger's in the land had 50 people come in and ask that? Mm-hmm. Word's going to go up pretty fast, and they're going to say, well, we better find out the answer yeah. so we can tell people. 
Well, Dave, we're going to have to end our conversation on that note, but I think it's a really strong and important note to end it on. I want to make sure everybody understands where they can find out more, and they can go to www.realorganicproject.org, and we'll make that available, link to our interview. I, of course, want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And most of all, I want to thank my guest, Mr. David Chapman, longtime organic farmer and advocate working to keep the integrity in the organic label. Thank you so much, Dave, for this conversation. All right, Melinda. Thank you very much.